Welcome to this special Christmas edition of the Southcrest Live podcast. As we enter into this season of Advent, when we celebrate Christ's first coming, let us be mindful that the story of our redemption is not simply about Christ's birth, but also about his life, death, resurrection, and return. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and enjoy today's Christmas message from our senior pastor, Dr. David Wilson. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, let's talk about timing, the perfect timing of Christmas. I'll begin reading in verse 1, and because it is God's Word, would you please stand while I read His Word. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore... You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for making us your children. No longer slaves to sin, but children of God. We pray for the transformation of lives today, that people will never be the same again because of Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming to save us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes true life, it can be the funniest uh, experience. Some, Some of these things are so funny, you can't make them up. For example, a small girl received a new watch. It's one of those watches that had some tones to it and played some music. She had a new watch, and she had some new perfume that she got as gifts, and she was very excited about them, little girl. Well, the family had asked the pastor over for dinner, and the girl wanted so badly to tell the pastor about her new gifts But her mother insisted that she wait until after dinner and not interrupt the mealtime. Well, not able to contain her excitement and not wanting to disobey, the little girl leaned over to the pastor during the dinner and whispered, if you hear a little noise and smell something, it's me. Another true story, a lady was taking a shower when her two-year-old son came into the bathroom and wrapped himself in toilet paper. 
And although he made a big mess, he looked adorable. And here's what she said. So I ran for my camera and took a few pictures. They came out so well that I had copies made and included one with each of our Christmas cards. Days later, a relative called about the picture, laughing hysterically and suggesting I take a closer look. Puzzled, I stared at the photo and was shocked to discover that in addition to my son, I had captured my reflection in the mirror wearing nothing but a camera. <laughs> Be careful what you do this Christmas. Let's talk about timing. Did you know the timing of Christmas was perfect? And I also want to talk to you about the timing of God working in your life. Because a lot of times we think that God's always late or he's never on time or he doesn't show up. Well, the first thing I want to call your attention to is that the Lord was right on time. How many of you like to be on time? I hope you're a person that likes to be on time. You know, being, being habitually late is rude. Sometimes people call it culture. It's still rude. If you say you're going to be someplace at a time, you ought to be there unless you are providentially hindered and starting late doesn't count. I've heard that Baptists incorporate lateness as part of their theology. Did you know that Baptists have that in their theology? We believe in regeneration and in justification and sanctification, and we've included procrastination as one of our beliefs. By nature, we're pretty impatient people. We want stuff right now. I mean, we've got drive-through windows to get our food. We've got instant information now at our fingertips on our smartphones. And, 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 we, and we incorporate this instant want into our relationship with God. God, when I pray, I want an answer right now. And Lord, if you want me to do this, I want an answer right now. And we, so we, we sort of incorporate that into our walk with the Lord. And when difficulties persist, and we don't necessarily see God moving, we become impatient because God's timing's not our timing. I've heard it said that God is seldom early and never late. Well, Paul shows, and he's speaking to the Galatians, and the whole letter of the Galatians is about the sufficiency of Jesus, that it's just Jesus that saves you. You understand that. It's not Jesus plus works, Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But in that, he talks about how we were slaves to sin, and we had this promise. Or uh, he, he, he uh, compares it to a promise. He, he said, when you're a child when, in this day and age, when you were a child, you, you knew that you were going to be heir to the father's inheritance, but even as a child, you were still like any other children, even the slave children, because they didn't have any rights. You were going to have them one day, but you didn't have them right then. But he, he compares us to being slaves to sin, and then he tells why. God sent Jesus. And he said it was at the, the time had fully come at just the right moment. There's a picture here that you need to understand that you, if you have water dripping in a bucket, it takes a long time for that bucket to fill up. But eventually, at a one drop, was one drop that's going to send it over the edge. That's the fullness of time. 
And so God, through Paul, is saying, at just the right moment, God sent Jesus to the earth. And we sometimes take that for granted. Now, we know we're going to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. We know that we're going to do that every year, and we make all the plans, and we decorate. So we, we know about that, but you need to understand that this first Christmas, this, when G, God sent Jesus, it was at the right time. It seems kind of strange, all the things that were going on at that point. But when you look at the Scripture, you're going to see that God always shows up at just the right time. For example, Genesis 24, Abraham sent his servant, one of his servants, back to the homeland to find a wife for Isaac. And he sent his servant, and he wound up at the well of Nahor, and, and the servant prayed. He, he was thinking, how am I going to find the right woman for Isaac? And he prayed that while he was there, that he, a woman would come to the well, and that he could ask for a drink of water. And if the woman also offered to water the camels, then he would know she was the right one. And sure enough, while he's praying, Rebecca shows up at the well, and, and the servant asks Rebecca, can I have a drink? She takes the, the, evidently it was on her head because it says she lowers the jar into her hands, gives drink to the lady, gives a drink to the servant, and while he's drinking, he, she says, let me go draw water for your camels. Just the right time. Joseph the, the guy with a coat of many colors whose brothers were jealous of him and they threw him in a cistern thinking they would leave him there to die. At just the right time, a caravan from Egypt came by and they decided to make a few dollars on it so they sold him into slavery at just the right time. Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh. At just the right time, Joseph becomes the second in command in Egypt. At just the right time, there's a famine in Israel. At just the right time, Joseph's family shows up in Egypt. <laughs> and, and Joseph says to them, it's in, recorded in Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. At just the right time, Moses was placed in the river in the bulrushes. At just the right time, the Pharaoh's daughter shows up to bathe and sees him, and Moses is raised in Pharaoh's palace. At just the right time, Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt just the right time, they're backed up to the Red Sea. And just the right time, God parts the Red Sea. Let's them go through on dry land. At just the right time, David shows up on the battlefield while Goliath is bragging and flexing his muscles. Just the right time, Esther becomes queen. And her uncle Mordecai said to her, Who knows but what God has made you queen for such a time as this? that prevented her people from being exterminated. At just the right time, God shows up with the three hot Hebrews. Well, they weren't hot. They were in the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he shows up at just the right time to save them. You see, God is in control. In Daniel 2.21, we find these words. God changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. I want you to understand that God is in control, and God is not caught by surprise. He, whatever happened this past week in the news, the Lord didn't pick up the Sunday paper and go, oh, I didn't know this happened this week. The Lord's right on time. Now, I want to show you three ways he's right on time. The first of all, he's right on time at his first coming. 
I've sort of already mentioned this and alluded to it, but the timing is everything when you give a gift. You've got a special gift, and you're planning to give it to someone. You want to make it at just the right time. You don't want to, if you men are going to, when you propose to your wife, you didn't give your wife her engagement ring while you were eating french fries at McDonald's. Well, first of all, for some of you, McDonald's wasn't in existence at that time. But, I mean, I didn't even do that well. <laughs> you can ask Laura. I didn't do well on this. And it wasn't all my fault before you judge me on this. But that's a whole other story. God was going to give a gift. He picked the perfect time for it. Let me give you a few examples. First of all, he picked the perfect time for the language. You see, back in 333 B.C., Alexander the Great conquered the world, and Greek language became the universal language. Everybody knew a little Greek. Not everyone was fluent in it, but they all knew it. Much like English today, English has become the language of commerce today, uh, because if you're going to do commerce in this world, you better know a little English anyone, anyway. So everyone in that day needed new Greek. So when the disciples needed to spread the gospel around the world at the time, language was not necessarily a big barrier. Even when Jesus was hung on the cross and Herod put at the top of the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, it was written in Greek Hebrew and Latin. Everyone knew a little bit of Greek. There was also international peace. Now, now, what's strange is it was the Romans had conquered the Greeks. And so at that time, the Roman Empire, they pretty much ruled everything. Rome was known for building roads. All, lo- all roads lead to Rome. And so God said, well, you know, I'm going to send him at a time when the disciples can take the gospel everywhere. So there were plenty of Rome, plenty of Rome, plenty of roads because of Rome. But also you didn't have to have a passport to go from territory to territory. You didn't go into enemy territory because it was all governed by Rome. Pretty much peace. Now there were a lot of slaves in fact, it's estimated there were about 60 million slaves. You and I, if we'd lived in a Roman Empire, probably would have been a slave because our people probably been, would have been conquered by Rome. But if you think about it, you've got the language, and now you've got the peace and the roads to get everywhere. There was also a time of religious confusion. Because all of these mystery religions and a lot of these pagan religions were losing their influence in a lot of ways. The Greeks had all kinds of gods, little g gods, and pagan gods. And then the Romans, they they even introduced man worship by bringing Caesar in as God and worshiping him. But all of that was beginning to wane. And in the midst of these thousands of petty gods, for 4,000 years, you've had the Jewish people saying there's only one God. And they were looking for a Messiah to come. And so all these petty gods and this the Jews are saying there's only one God, Jehovah, Yahweh. You also, it was a time of moral decline. You see, 
with all the philosophy and art and, and all of the uh, education and all of the architecture and music and poetry and with the greatest military machine, all Athens could do was come up with a few philosophers and all Rome could do was the same, but no one could answer the three main questions of the time, which was where did I come from, who am I, and where am I going? It all left an emptiness in your life, and they couldn't answer those questions. There was a time of open sexuality. It was a time of widespread moral decline. There were all kinds of issues that murder and stealing and all kinds of perversion. And in the midst of all of that, God sends Jesus just the right time in the fullness of time. Universal language and universal peace, our universal road system, the concept of one God, the Messiah, the world was ready for Jesus. Because, and, and another thing you need to remember is that between the time of Malachi and Matthew in your Bible, there's 400 years where God was silent. No prophets, no preachers, no word from God. And I can imagine that people were beginning to lose hope. Does God even care? And then John the Baptist shows up, preparing the way for Jesus to come. And see, God had been planning this since the garden. Because even then, in the garden, he said, he told Satan, he said, the seed of the woman will bruise your head. Why did he say seed of the woman? Why didn't he say seed of the man? Because women don't have seed, the men do. Because the seed of the woman, I think, indicates the virgin birth as part of it. We know later Isaiah said that that would happen. But, but see, God said even in the garden, Messiah is going to come. And then 4,000 years later, you've got Jesus showing up at a time we call Christmas. When the people had almost lost hope, the angel came to Mary, the angel came to Joseph, the angel came to the shepherds. God put a star in the heavens to guide the wise men. Think about it for a moment. All that taxing that was going on, all the crowded in, the birth, the stable, the shepherds, the angels, all of it was part of God's perfect plan. And there's something else you need to think about. From man's perspective, it looked like a mess. I mean, think about it. You got a woman who's pregnant, not married. So she leaves to go see her cousin. You got a man who wants to divorce his betrothed wife, but the angel stops it. And then nine months, as she's pregnant, nine months, she's got to make that journey of 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. At the time Jesus was born, there was no room in the inn in Bethlehem, so that he probably was born in a cave. No one came to celebrate, not the family, just a bunch of smelly shepherds. Herod wanted to kill him, sought to kill all the baby boys. Then Joseph, Mary, and Jesus had to flee to Egypt. And from God's perspective, it was the fullness of time. But from man's perspective, God, you couldn't have picked a worse time to send him. You see, and some of you right now are wondering, Lord, what are you doing in my life right here? I seem to be in a mess. Are you here? How come you hadn't showed up yet? How come you haven't answered my prayer? Now, we're going to look back one day, and some of us can right now. We can look back and see 
God's perfect timing <laughs> in a lot of areas. Think of the person that first told you about Jesus or the Sunday school teacher or whoever it was that told you about the Lord and the timing of this and how you got here and this and, and all of that. And, and I will tell you that there's going to be some time, sometimes in our life that we don't know all of it yet. But I want you to understand that in our life, Psalm 31, 15, the psalmist said, my times are in your hands. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He didn't say all things are good. He just said he works. Doors open, doors close, windows open, opportunities close. But if you look back on your own conversion, I could bet you could think of times and events and places where the Lord showed up. Well, folks, I want you to know that, that God showed up or Jesus showed up at just the right time when God sent his son. And what I hope you'll gain from that and remember this Christmas is that even though things may seem like a mess from your perspective, from God's timing, he knows everything about you. He knows your name. He loves you. He knows everything that's going on. So trust him. Not only was he on time on his first coming, the Lord will be right on time on his final coming. <laughs> he promised it. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the disciples are all standing there looking into heaven because Jesus has just ascended. And two angels come and say, hey, guys, you can quit staring. He's coming back just like you saw him come one day. Now, personally, it's my own personal opinion. Well, first of all, I want you to know, I don't know when he's coming back. In my personal opinion, he's already missed a few good opportunities to come back. Wouldn't you agree? We're going to see in 2 Peter chapter 3, went back after we get back to it in January, uh, that the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. He's coming back. He's coming back. We just don't know when. The bottom line is you can count on it. He's coming again, and when he does, he's going to be right on time. You just need to be ready. The other truth about the Lord's timing is that the Lord's always right on time with his faithful compassion. One of the things that Paul's helping the Galatians understand is that you're not here by accident. You were not given life by accident. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Do you? Well, that means that your life is no mistake. Your life is not an accident. See, that's what's so, this is free. I didn't say this in the other services. That's what's, this is what's so devastating about abortion. It's because you're taking God in your hands. God gives life. Man cannot give life. Only God can give life. Well, that's a whole other story. What I want you to understand is that you are not an accident. You're not a mistake, regardless of what your parents told you. (laughs) 
The Lord knew you were coming, and the Lord sent you. And you're here, and you're not an accident. And, and God loves you. He's got a plan for you regardless of who you are or where you are or what you may be facing. God's got a plan for you. And Christmas is a reminder to you to give, not to give up or to lose hope. God's at work on you. And right now, you may think my life's a mess. Well, first of all, if you're out of fellowship with him and there's some sin you need to confess, we'll do it. But even those, you need to remember that God still has his hand on you. He knows you. He loves you. He understands. And when you ask him and he doesn't answer it immediately, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. We sometimes forget, don't we? We get so caught up in all our circumstances. Well, when you look at all the circumstances surrounding this first Christmas, It looked like a mess. But God was involved in every bit of it, in the details of it. Not only was the Lord right on time, but he's also on target. Verse 4, he was, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. That word, God sent forth his sons, that reminds you of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he sent forth. Well, the word sent forth here is a big, long Greek word about this long that I'm not going to bore you with, but it means to send from someone or somewhere, which indicates the preexistence of Jesus that he's always been. He's the second person of the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's always been, and he came to us. Who was his target? You, 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 and me were his target. Came looking for you. He came to save you. He was sent from God. And the question is, why? Why would he make you and me a target? Do we deserve it? No. Can we earn it? No. Why? Why would he want you? Why would he want me? Created us. We rebelled. We sinned. We separated ourselves from God. We blew it. Why would he want you and me? I don't know. Except that he loved us. He loves us. God so loved the world. And so Christ came to be, what did he tell uh, Joseph? Emmanuel, God with us. To redeem. To redeem. To buy us. Wait a minute, I'm not for sale. Yeah, we were. We were slaves to sin. We had separated ourselves. We were going to die in our sin and penalty of sin was death. Wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody had to die. So to redeem us, to pay the price, to atone for us, someone had to die. God sent forth his son to redeem us. You were the target, so was I. To buy us. You know, you're probably already Christmas shopping. I'm, I'm say, I, I feel pretty safe in that assumption. 
You're probably trying to buy something for somebody special in your life, and you probably want to give them something they need or would really like to have, but especially if they need it. And sometimes we'll ask people, what do you need for Christmas? What, would, what do you need? We needed a Savior. We didn't need another teacher. We needed a Savior. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it absolutely amazing what our world worships? You don't think we don't need a Savior? I mean, we start to elevate musicians, rock stars, Christian artists, classical music stars, whatever. We elevate them. You know what? They're gifted. They're, they have talent, but they're not to be worshipped. But we fill stadiums to see them. And then our world worships, idolizes, maybe is a better word, liars. Hollywood's full of liars. They make their living pretending to be somebody they're not. That's a liar. Am I right? But yet, we elevate them to the point, oh, we're just in awe of them. And, and then somehow they get the idea that we really care what they think, <laughs> but I don't. I mean, why would I care what somebody thinks that lies for a living? That's harsh, I know. I don't care. It's harsh. We elevate athletes. I'm, I like sports. I'm not against athletes. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, athletes don't realize it, but physics is against them. Some of these guys that were so idolized when I was a teenager, for some reason, I don't know if it's what they've been eating or what they've been doing, but those guys look terrible today. <laughs> Called aging. Because we're dying. So what do we need? We need a Savior. That's what we need. We need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need to be rescued. That's what God sent. You're a target. I got amused that one little girl was asked, what are you going to give your little brother for Christmas? She said, I don't know. And the person said, well, what did you, what did you give him last year? She said, the chicken pox. God sent, shows the deity of Jesus. God sent Jesus. He didn't just accidentally show up. He sent him to redeem, to buy back. Isaiah tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. And this describes us naturally. We are sinners. We are not searchers for God. We retreat for him. We are hopeless. So Jesus came, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for you and me. That Jesus died for you and me. This Christmas, you're still the target. You're a target of God's love. You're a target of God's redemption. You're a target of his salvation. He wants you. The amazing thing is, God wants you and me. I would not want me. God wants you. And you know what? God wants to forgive you. 
You don't have to beg him to. You know, I've been places around the world where people were in fear of their God and they do all this nonsensical stuff to try to appease them and to try to get their God off of their back or to keep him from punishing them anymore or to maybe please them enough to give them a crop or whatever. All kinds of things they worship. Romans 1 says they worship the creation and that's what they do. God came looking for you. And he came in such a way that he said, you've blown it. You're a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. But I love you enough. I want to save you. I want to rescue you. I want to forgive you. But the price has got to be paid. And so you can't pay it because none of you are perfect. None of you are without sin. So I'm going to come and I'm going to I'm going to purchase your redemption. Hallelujah. And that's exactly what he did. He was right on target. You're his target. So am I. He's right on time. He's right on target. But he's also ready to transform your life. Look at verse 5. It says to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you were sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, ladies, don't feel slighted in the least. It's, you're a child of God. It doesn't have anything to do with a son and daughter. In this particular time, the sons were the heirs the rightful heirs, and if a, a, a Roman citizen didn't have a, a, a biological son, that by law he could adopt a slave's son. And this son would have all of the rights and privileges of a son. Paul said, this is what God's done for you. Jesus is God's son by nature. Jesus is God. You and I become children of God by grace. We are transformed from a slave to sin to the son of the Savior, to the son of God, the child of God. It says we're no longer slaves, but we're, we're sons through God. So the best gift that anyone can receive would be the gift of forgiveness and life eternal and be transformed by Jesus. Mary and Joseph's lives were transformed. The, the shepherd's lives were transformed. Wise men's lives were transformed. The disciples' lives were transformed. In fact, when you read in the Scripture that people who believe and follow Jesus, their lives never stay the same. They're a new creation. They've been transformed. So you can come out of slavery into becoming an heir to the kingdom of God. You cannot believe the inheritance I have. You just can't believe it. It's out of this world. Are you with me? Can you believe the inheritance you have? You're not going to go down here to the Lubbock Courthouse and get it. 
you are going to inherit, uh, you are a joint heir with Jesus. That's transformation. There are those in this sanctuary who have not been transformed. There are people watching online or watching by television that have not been transformed. Joining a church doesn't transform you. Being baptized doesn't transform you. It's when you repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you, I remind you, God wants to forgive you. You don't have to beg God to forgive you. He wants to. If you come in repentance and sorrow for your sin, he will forgive you. And you believe in your heart that Jesus, the one perfect man, the perfect God-man, no sin. And when he went to the cross, God put your sin and my sin on him. And he paid the price. He died. But he rose again. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're transformed. Some of you got it here, but you don't have it here. You know about it, but you just never committed your life to Christ. Well, I got news for you. Today is the perfect time for you to come to Christ. At this point in time, the scripture indicates, the scripture indicates that when you are saved, it happens at a point in time. I can go back to the night that I was in boys camp at the Beach Springs Baptist Camp in Smackover, Arkansas. There is a place. I don't remember everything I prayed. I do know that I needed to be saved. I do know that I asked God to forgive me. I do know that I invited Jesus to come into my life as best I knew how. And I do know at that point in time, my name was put in the Lamb's Book of Life. Has that happened to you? You don't get, you don't get saved by osmosis. You know, I used to think when I was a kid, if I lay on my school book at night, that will just kind of absorb into there. You know, a lot of people believe if I just attend church enough, salvation will just absorb into me. No, you have to, you have to do it. You have to choose. You have to step across the line and say, I receive Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Southcrest Baptist Church. Services are 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're located at 3801 South Loop 289 in Lubbock, Texas. If you can't join us in person, be part of our online congregation at southcrestlive.tv to stream our Sunday services live at 9.30 or 11. For more information, visit our website at southcrest.org.